We're going to be in chapter 5 of Matthew, and uh, we're going to go through uh, a few verses, and I'll get there in a second. But before I do that, I want to show you kind of how I teach uh, the young adults. And so I'm part of a teaching team with the young adults, and I have the honor and privilege to be able to lead that group. And when I do that, I want to make sure that they know who they're serving. Uh, There's a lot of assumptions about who we serve, but if we don't actually take the time to know who we serve, um, we can get ourselves into some trouble. And so what I do with them, and when I say that we look into the Word of God, I'm not saying that time where maybe you have your devo time or your reflective time. That stuff's all led by the Spirit, and that's of you and God. I'm talking about more of that deeper study uh, when you need to kind of, uh, you know, study to show yourself approved type study time. And I hope everybody is doing that. But the three largest barriers that we find in our coming to the Bible is uh, is context, culture, and language. These three things uh, we find ourselves kind of stumbling over as we look into the Word of God. So I'm going to camp out in here just a little bit. They're not in your notes or anything, but I want to make sure... Uh, just because they're threes, that doesn't mean like I did that, like Pastor Charlie does. Uh, it just so happens that there were three of them. So, and they don't all start with the same letter, so I'm sorry. I'm already failing. That's okay. <laughs> context. Um, so context is uh, probably the biggest thing that I come across when I'm talking to not only young adults, but people who are trying to understand God's word. A context is one of those things that we kind of, uh, we find ourselves having a hard time with. Because we'll get a, and you've seen it, right? It's like I call them bumper sticker phrases, and so we'll get a scripture, and it's like Jeremiah 29, 11. And a lot of that time, that's not in context. That's, that's kind of taken out of context. They're great. And so what I teach the young adults is it's out of context, but it's not out of God's character. So I don't want you to hear me and say that it's not okay to have those bumper sticker moments. But what I'm saying is when we're studying the word of God, you need to understand context. So how many of you have a Bible? Perfect. Um, Inside of those Bibles, there's chapters, there's names, there's subtitles, there's subheadings. Those were not written by Moses. Those were not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those were put in by publishers later. They're really nice resources, but what happens is sometimes you get into kind of a pickle because you start reading them, and you're like, oh, that's what it's about. And then really what you need to do is read a little bit behind what that chapter is saying, and you need to read a little bit before or, or after. And the nice thing about that is, is you can find your place of what Christ is trying to say through the scripture if you just camp out a little bit uh, before the chapter starts and a little bit after. The next is culture. So culture, if we look at texts in the Bible, um, it was not American culture, right? It was predominantly Hebrew. Um, There's a lot of influences. They were captured throughout history. And then in the time of Jesus, there was Roman culture. There was uh, influences from the Greek culture. There was, again, Hebrew culture. Uh, And so the culture is something that you kind of just are a part of. And then if you look at how they were actually kind of inside the whole scheme of things, there were cultures within cultures, very much like the United States. There's America, right? And then there's like America, right? And then there's like all these ethnic groups that, in, that are inside of America. And so culture, we know um, it, it varies. And then the last is language. So language evolves. So like think about old English. Is that the same English that we have today? Uh, certainly not, right? Like it has 
changed and the thou's and the these and the those and the uh, thines and whatever, um, they're gone. And we don't use those anymore. And so language changes. One of the greatest things is you start to become a, a, a studier of God's words. You start to see how the scholars put all of these uh, things together, the context, the culture, and the language, and they put it all together. They press it all together. And then there's schools upon schools upon schools through generations upon generations that have kept the scriptures pure, that have kept the scriptures to what they are. And so we even find this, like, example where we get lost in some of the context, the culture, and the language, even today. So I'm going to, like, do an experiment, okay? And so if you can just kind of just play along. Okay. If I were to say red, blue, elephant, and donkey party, what am I talking about? The circus. What would you say? Oh, you're right. You're right. Politics. Politics. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you exactly. Don't throw anything at me. I was just kidding. What if I said, he hit the nail on the head? What am I saying? You got it, right? Like, he did it. Nailed it. Uh, she's a chip off the old block. Right? We know those. So, like, we don't have to explain some of those things to you because they've been around. They're part of our culture. They're part of our context. And they're part of our language. And so Jesus talks like that to his people. So uh, let's, let's go a little bit further. What if something is chuggy? Do you guys know what chuggy is? Only like a quarter of you are like nodding your head yes. And it's like this side with a young adult you're sitting in say, Okay. Uh, what if something is cap? Right? Or no cap? Yeah? Don't I sound super cool for knowing these terms? And in the same moment that I sound super cool, I'm super chuggy. Like, just so you know, it's pretty rough. Um, see, the, you see how that works? And so sometimes when we're going into Scripture, we need to stop. We need to not have an assumption, and we need to understand what we're reading and why we're reading it. So that was just like a little bit of the game I wanted you to play with me. Um, but Jesus did a great job of addressing his audience with all three of these. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's, the, he's famously known for the Sermon on the Mount. It's the blessed are, right? Like, blessed are the, you guys know him? Yeah, right? So it's, it's famous. It's world-renowned. And so he is taking all of these things, and he is pulling them together, and he is making sure that people understand not only who is blessed, but why they're blessed, and how they would continuously bless. So tonight, we're going to hone in on this part of Scripture. Um, it's actually not the Beatitudes. We're going to be right after it. So Matthew 5, 13, and 20. It's going to come up here, and it says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are a light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light for everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. But don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, 
I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great amongst the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that tonight your word would illuminate and uh, just reveal to us what we need to learn. I pray that you would just remove me from this whole situation. Would your word just speak louder than anything I have to say? Father, we just thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your justification. We thank you for your sanctification. Lord, we are so dependent on you. We love you and we praise you. And in your holy name we pray, amen. So Jesus is standing in the middle, and he's come to earth, and he's really kind of redefining a lot of the old culture and things that people have come to maybe assume. And so it's been about 500 years since people have heard of any type of prophet or anything that has been spoken about the people of God. And so Jesus stands here in the middle, and he is reaching out to the past, and he is reaching into the future, and he is pulling them together. It's a beautiful representation of the cross. And he is holding out his arms, and he is saying, I am here now. That person that you have been waiting for, you can wait no more. I'm here. And for years, because mankind has failed at the law, Jesus had to come down as that perfect sacrifice in order for us to obtain that position with Christ. See, the law didn't fail us, right? The law didn't fail us. We failed the law. We were... And in our inabilities, we miss the mark continuously. And so Jesus, in his all-loving and all-knowing character, came down, and he stood in the middle, and he's starting to bring the ages together. And that's how he's going to describe that. As you walk through the book of Matthew, as you walk through the gospel, he is bringing these ages together, and the new age is beginning, and the old age is going away, and he is now the fulfillment of everything to come. And when we look at this text, it's very tempting just to be like, hey, we're salt and light. We love ourselves. And we are so happy, and we put it on shirts, and we walk around, and we're just like giddy, and nothing's wrong with it. But let me tell you, it's not about who you are. If you look at the text, he is actually telling you who he is. He is bringing you into understanding, and he is saying, because of this new age, because I am the final accomplisher, the accomplishing work of God, because I am that, you now have a position that you are coming into, and that is salt, and that is light. So why salt and why light? Well, I'm going to tell you. Both are super common today, right? You grab the salt off of your kitchen table, you put it on your carne asada, you put it on your carne asada chips, you put it on your carne asada fries, or whatever, you know, like, that's what I put it on. Um, it's very common, I could just pull it out of any cupboard, and I probably have like five sh uh, salt shakers anywhere I want. Um, but it wasn't the case back then, it was actually pretty rare to have good salt, and I say good salt because the good stuff you found at market for trade, the good stuff you found at market for value, 
And there's three things, here we go with the three, three things that salt does. Salt preserves, it purifies, and it seasons. It preserves, it purifies, and it seasons. When Jesus is telling us who he is, he is not concerned necessarily with who uh, your assumptions of him is. He wants you to know who he is because he is revealing that to you. And in that, he's saying, you have new purpose. You have new function. You are now the redeemed. You are not the ones who are to be the lofty religious type. No, you are to be purifiers. You are to preserve and you are to season. We are preservers of the gospel, people. You know, like, isn't that such a great thing to know that generationally, we are the ones that are speaking the same words as the apostles who spoke before us? We preserve that heritage. We are the ones who get to get up in the morning and praise the God of creation. We are also a pure people. We are holy. Jesus says, be holy because I am holy. We are no longer self-absorbed and, and sticking to our selfishness. We are not just trying to get above the next person and making sure that we can get away with stuff. No, we're holy people. We are people who are called into something different. And then last, we are seasoned. We are seasoned. It says that our words be like salt. Let it be seasoned. Let everything that we say have meaning. Let us not get into the, the habits of being complainers and the habit of being whiners. He is saying, no, you have a new identity. You are a new identity because I am who I say I am. Light, easy again. If I step over here, the camera's going to be super mad at me because they can't see me now because there's no light. You guys can see me, right? Barely? It doesn't matter. Um, but now you can. Light is very common today, but back then it wasn't. It dispelled darkness. It exposes the things that are hidden, and it gives life. You know, without light, we have no life. It's just... It's science. I'm not a scientist, but I know that part. Life gives light. Like, light gives life. And when we hide what God has given, we do not produce life. When we take that light that has been given to us with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, breathe into us on the day of Pentecost, we received him through fire. We have now become light. When we hide that, when we become self-absorbed, when we do the things that make it about us, we hide our light. And so Jesus is like, I don't want you to misunderstand. So I'm not sure if they put it up already or whatever, but like point one is he is the accomplishing work of God. Verse 17, it says, Do not misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets. No, I have come to accomplish their purpose. And the reason that he could accomplish this is because, well, because he's Jesus, because he's the only person. He is truth. See, a liar would get up here and be able to rant on and on and on and tell you about how great I am or how great this church is or how great this city is and whatever. And one day, because we are so great, I'm going to actually step into a really good sacrificial position and I'm going to die for you. And guess what? All of your sins are going to go away. Everybody in here would be like, okay, I never heard this message before. Yay. And 
and what if I did it? What if I died? The problem with that would be is I would not, I would not come back to life. It's impossible. Okay, I would not be able to, on my own will, be able just to come back to life and be the fulfiller of what I just said. But Jesus was. Jesus did. And because he is the truth, we now have the, the security in him. Now, I want to give us a caution of truth, okay? What is truth? In Romans 1, 18 and 19, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since that may, so that it may be known uh, about God and it, that it's plain to them. Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Because God has made it plain to them. And then he goes in verse 20. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Being called into salt and light, into a new identity, doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. He is perfect, we are not. What it means is you are actively seeking your identity. You are actively seeking your new purpose. You are actively seeking why you have been redeemed, why you say every single morning that I am in the need for a savior. You are saying that I choose to be righteous. See, you can't be a bearer of light and a bearer of unrighteousness at the same time. You can't be a bearer of light and a bearer of wickedness at the same time. You just can't. Proverbs 29, 23, it says, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Saul in light. He is the life. He is the one that we pledge our allegiance to. He is the reason that we get up in the morning and we have hope. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Can we not, can we just stop being selfish with the light that he's given us? Can we stop squandering the salt that he's given us to be to the earth? My friends, I have seen it over the last 10 years. When we talk about theology, when we talk about doctrine, when we talk about the things that are needed to understand who God is, you know the most dangerous term that I've heard over the years be thrown out there? Well, I think. Well, I feel. Well, I feel like it should be like this. And I think it should feel like this. And I cannot believe that this is happening. Well, I better believe that, this, you know, and we become these declarative people. We are not salt thrown on the path to lose our saltiness. No, we are the enrichers of people's life. We are the enrichment of people's life. That is what we are called into. That is why he has died for you and me. That is why he brings us into new covenant. It's very easy. Your theology is not based upon your experience or your emotion. I'm sorry. It is based solely on the word of God. God is the one who has set us up for success. God is the one that has sustained us. And as Jesus stood in the middle and he has 
reaching back to the past, and he is reaching to the forward, forward to the future. He is pulling the text together, and slowly but surely, he is saying, you and I are now one. We are not separated by the law. We are not separated by your sin. We are not separated by death. We are not separated by fear. We are not separated by our insecurities. We are not separated by our pride. We are not separated. I have you in my hand, and I will keep you in my hand. We are salt and light, but we are only that because he is. We are only that because he is all of those things. He is the fulfiller of this. And every single page that we read, the 66 books, as we flip through the pages of all of it, he has been there. And I know that some of you feel right now that he is not there for you. But let me promise you that he is. He wouldn't have come and put himself in such a vulnerable, vulnerable position if he didn't believe in you for the sake of his love for you. He believes in you so much that he came down to this earth and he died for you and I. He believes in you so much that he is not willing to let you be captive to your own fears. He is not willing to let you be captive to your own insecurities. And he's definitely not willing to let you be captive to your pride. He loves us. He is. We need to seek him differently. I, I love Christian radio. I love devos. I love those things. I mean, let me tell you, but that is, that is just the entry that is the entry to what Jesus is asking you to be with him. He is asking you to abide. We are grafted into the, the family of God so that we become more than what we were. We are grafted in. We are no longer slaves. And when we just stay in the shallow banks of our Christian walk, we only experience, you know, there's a lot of probably... I know this to be true because I did this. I was saved by grace when I was 17 years old. But you know what? I stayed a baby for about 12. And it's because I was unwilling to go over the horizon of my faith because I was fearful of what I might have to give up. God is calling you into a relationship with him, not just so you are believers, but that you are disciples. Even the demons believe. That doesn't mean anything. We are disciples. We are salt and light. We have been transformed. We have been made new. And in, again, in every single page of this book and in every single page of your book, he is present. I want to walk you through something, um, and I just want to show you who God is. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. In Judges, he is the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he is Mordecai's courage. In Job, our timeless redeemer. In Psalms, 
He is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is wisdom's Christ. Ecclesiastes, he is the time and season. And in the Song of Solomon, he is the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is the call from sin. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire. And in Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the Spirit's power. In Amos, he is the arms that carry us. And in Obadiah, he is the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and in Zephaniah, he is pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, Messiah. And in the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. And Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In first and second Peter, he is our shepherd. And in John and Jude, he is the lover coming for you, his bride. And in Revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the son of man, the lamb of God, the great I am. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's our God and our Savior. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And when time is no more, He is. That's why we come to church. Because He is. He is the reason that we show up. He is the reason that we love. He is the reason that we give. He is the reason that we know what sacrifice is and we sacrifice. We're going to worship tonight as a response to who he is. If you could stand with me, please. And I know it's a little bit different, but if you're a prayer partner, can you come down here right now? There's opportunity for you to connect. There's a connect card in the back of your seat or in front of your, your seat back. If you've made a choice and if you want salvation, maybe you don't even know what that is, but you want to talk to a pastor, we're here. Maybe you need prayer, we're here. Come on up. And let me just say this. If you have hidden your light, if you have hidden your light and you have thrown your salt to the floor, tonight is a night of repentance and reconciliation. He loves you. He cares about you. He's seeking you. And if you would seek and you will knock, he will answer. 
you are the salt of this earth. You are a light on a hilltop. And all of this is for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your matchless name. Jesus, you are the I am. You are the living sacrifice. You are the one that shows us how to respond, Father, to to being a servant, to being a disciple. Lord, will you just be magnified tonight? We thank you for your love. We thank you for your salvation and your kindness, Lord. Through no other way can we make it to the Father but through you. In a sign of surrender, would you just put your hands out? Just reflect on him. Ask him how you could do his will. Pastor David's going to lead us in a time of worship.